This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for January 17th, 2018. In this episode, meet the new bug, similar to the old bug. Apple has a new password problem to contend with. Plus, we'll have news on the proposed WEP3 protocol, info on a newly discovered DNS malware exploit, and what's going on with iPhone batteries. The Intego Mac Podcast is presented by Intego, makers of security and utility software, exclusively for Apple products since 1997. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. It seems like it wasn't very long ago that we discussed a really dumb security bug in macOS. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it was only weeks ago that there was a really serious issue where people could just walk up to your computer, they could type in root as the username and any password that they wanted, and now that would enable the root account on your machine with the password that was typed into that dialog box, which was just crazy crazy how something like that could be possible. Yeah, we we did an episode about that. It was episode number eight, I Have Root, and I'll link in the show notes. We were both pretty stunned that Apple could actually have a flaw that obvious. And I, I, I don't remember exactly what we were saying, but we kind of had the impression that Apple has gotten lax on Mac security. And just a couple days ago, another bug was discovered. Interestingly, there is a bit of similarity between the two. So in this one, if you go into System Preferences and then click the App Store Preferences, when you click the little padlock at the bottom left of the window where you're supposed to enter an administrator's username and password, a sheet displays, and you can be granted access to these preferences by entering your real administrator's username, but any password at all. Now, the root thing had a similar authentication sheet where you would enter root and an empty password. And I wonder if these two are somehow related. Yeah, well, the thought that came through my mind was, did Apple hire some macOS programmers who were just interns or something, like who didn't really have a lot of experience or knowledge? Or perhaps the conspiracy theorist might might say, maybe they were being paid by Microsoft, you know, to uh, make macOS look bad. That's, that's maybe a little bit extreme, but... It's like, really, really, come on. The authentication dialog box in system preferences, and there's a major security flaw where somebody can just bypass it by putting whatever they want in the box. That's crazy. How did that happen twice with the same operating system? Because, again, this is something that, just like the last time around, this is something that only affects macOS High Sierra, not Sierra. And this, to me, this is a real problem because we want to tell people, upgrade to the latest version of macOS. You, you have to if you want the meltdown mitigations because Apple's not doing anything for Sierra or earlier with meltdown. And yet you also have these other vulnerabilities that keep being discovered that are only in high Sierra. It's like, oh man, Apple, come on. It, it makes me wonder if they didn't change something around the authentication process in high Sierra, which is generating this sort of bug. One thing that's interesting is if you authenticate the App Store preference pane, it unlocks. But when you unlock a preference pane, it doesn't unlock all of the preference panes that are locked. In other words, each preference pane needs to be unlocked individually. So while it does grant access to the App Store settings, which are slightly limited, they only let you choose whether you automatically check for updates, automatically download things. 
But the fact that someone can get into that preference pane doesn't mean that they can get into, say, the users and groups pane or the security and privacy pane. The other thing that I read, uh, Mac Rumors was one of the the first sites to report this story, and they later updated their their story to say that by default, this preference pane is actually unlocked when you open up system preferences. So if that's the case, it's it's almost like you have to go out of your way. You have to, in order to test this, you have to lock it and then you have to unlock it. But just the fact that that bug is there is still of concern. It's still something that never, ever should have slipped past quality assurance. So I'll link in the show notes to an article by Justin Pott entitled, Is Apple Even Paying Attention to Mac OS Security Anymore? And basically he's going through the two bugs that we just discussed, the root access bug and this one. You suggest maybe it's an intern. I'm just finding it hard to understand how this is happening. Now, I've worked testing software, and I know that you have a test suite that you have to go through, and you make a list of functions and features that you have to test, how you're going to test them, and you ensure that it works. And you ensure it works on a number of different devices, potentially different operating systems, depending on the software. I can't imagine that this is happening like this to Apple. I really don't understand. This is really, really weak quality assurance. And, you know, and, and Apple actually even said at, uh, after the last time that, uh, you know, they, they actually issued a public apology and said, we greatly regret this error. We apologize to all Mac users. And they said, we are auditing our development processes to help prevent this from happening again. So Apple said that just weeks ago, they released a new version of Mac OS that fixed the IAM root vulnerability and said that they're auditing their development processes. And then this gets discovered by another researcher and and reported to Apple. And it's like, wow, how did have you started auditing your development processes? Are you planning to do that? To be fair, it takes a while. I would assume by auditing, they mean looking at this process. As I was saying, you have a list of features and all that to test and testing. This isn't something that's going to happen overnight. But the fact that they said that they're auditing it makes me even more worried that they're so unconfident about the quality of their software. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what to think about this. It's 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 just it's strange. It's unfortunate because, I mean, Apple, for goodness sakes, I mean, they've got all the money in the world. They've got more money than any other major software company or really almost any company in the world, I think, at this point. You know, put some money into this, Apple, hire some more developers who are good at quality assurance testing, who are good at security, and test these releases before you come out with a new OS. I mean, don't let things like this slip into a new operating system. Are you looking for a job, Josh? <laughs> this this is definitely something for, for other players, but, um, but hey, it's easy to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we've got some more news this week. The Wi-Fi Alliance, and this is the organization that creates the standards that we use for Wi-Fi networks and how we connect and how the networks transmit data and all that. They've announced a new Wi-Fi security protocol that they're calling WPA3, Wireless Protected Access 3. Now, on this show, you've mentioned a number of times how Wi-Fi authentication isn't entirely secure. You've notably said don't ever use WEP, which is Wireless Enhanced Protection, and use WPA2 because it's better. So WPA3 has a number of new features Two of them, according to the press release from the Wi-Fi Alliance, will deliver robust protections even when users choose passwords that fall short of typical complexity recommendations and will simplify the process of configuring security for devices that have limited or no display interface. 
Now, the first one, basically, if you have a poor password, maybe they'll tell you or something. But the second one's really useful because there are devices that connect to Wi-Fi that don't have displays. I know that I had a security camera that I got some time ago to review, and I don't really use the security camera, but I set it up next to the cat flap so I could see, record when the cats come in and out. And the only way I could configure it was to connect it via Ethernet to my router and then to go through an iOS app. So anything that improves the configuration for devices without an interface is really useful. Yeah, and, and it definitely sounds like they're they're really trying hard with this new um, this new WPA3 standard to to add some features that have kind of been missing from the previous standards. They've also said that they're focusing on improving security, which is interesting. <laughs> so um, one of the things that, that they mentioned is that it's going to include a 192-bit, which is kind of an odd number. Why not go all the way to 256? They, they, want, they went halfway, and maybe that's just because of processing power of uh, certain Wi-Fi devices, I don't know. But they say they're, um, they've got a new 192-bit security suite aligned with the Commercial National Security Algorithm Suite that will protect government defense and industrial networks that have higher security requirements. So that's interesting. The, the, the biggest problem that, that I have and that uh, uh, other people have mentioned with WPA3 is that it's still not an open standard. They, they're not doing, they're doing this behind closed doors. They're not inviting cryptography experts who really could assist with this, with making sure this is done right the first time. That's that's to me the biggest problem is that the Wi-Fi Alliance has always kind of just done these things behind closed doors. And with every version of wireless protocol that, that they've ever released, they've always had flaws in every version. Even the most recent WPA2 with AES, there, there have been flaws found in it. That's the best we've got right now, but they're, they're all flawed. And so <laughs> it's it's... It's nice that they're developing a new standard. Maybe they'll learn from their mistakes, but it's also a little bit concerning that they're still not opening up the standard and, and inviting the real experts, the ones who have found the problems in the past, to take a look at this before it gets released publicly. So is this the kind of thing that we can expect in, in one of these hacker conventions for, for people to you know find exploits in, in minutes or seconds? <laughs> Maybe not that quickly, but I'm I'm pretty sure that as soon as WPA three is is out there, I I would I would say probably within the first year, there's already going to be weaknesses found in it. it. It may not be you know the end of the world kind of thing, but there there will be weaknesses found probably pretty shortly after the new version comes out. I wouldn't be surprised if if they've done a better job with it this time around. Great, I you know I'm I'd be excited about that. But it it really security. You, you don't really know how secure something is until it's been out there in the wild long enough with enough people who are really smart pounding on it. That's how you really know how secure something is. Speaking of secure, we're only two weeks into January and we already have the first new malware for Mac. Yeah, this was really interesting. Patrick Wardle, who we've mentioned uh, many times before, is a, is a Mac security researcher. And he was tipped off to a forum post that talked about 
you know, this, this guy said, oh, you know, I've got um, these weird new DNS entries and I think my Mac might be infected. Nobody had really responded to this particular forum post and somebody um, tipped off Patrick Wardle to it and they said, hey, look into this. What, what's going on here? So he started researching this and it turns out that there is some, uh, some malware that had been uploaded to VirusTotal back in November. Virus Total is a is a site where you can upload a sample of whatever it might be. Um, it could be a Mac executable, it could be a, a Windows EXE file, uh, could even be a PDF. Whatever it is, you upload it to Virus Total. They basically run it past a whole bunch of different antivirus engines, and it will analyze that one file and give you an analysis that shows what many other antivirus products have thought about that file, whether they detect it currently as malware or not. And Patrick said that when he uploaded um, uh, the sample that he obtained, it it still had zero detections on VirusTotal. So no, no antivirus company that's included in that VirusTotal scan was already detecting this Mac malware. And we should note too that Intego is not not one of those engines that's on VirusTotal, so it's kind of kind of interesting that this this was kind of flying under the radar. So he he got he got the sample of it, he started analyzing it, and he found that what this malware does is it drops a root certificate authority onto your machine, and it also hijacks your DNS. So it does two things. So let's give some definitions here. First, DNS is the domain name system, and that's what translates, for example, Intego.com into the number address that indicates exactly where it's located. For your DNS to work, it has to be able to access a series of servers on the internet, and if someone can get in between and hijack your DNS, they could trick you into thinking that Intego.com is at a different URL a different numerical URL and direct your traffic there. And that's the scary thing about these DNS hijackers. This is definitely not the first Mac malware that has hijacked DNS. There are plenty of, uh, of, of other samples that have done things like this before. One of the things that this particular DNS hijacker is also doing is, is installing that, uh, that root certificate authority onto your machine. And basically what that means is that the malware developers actually have the capability in this case of being able to use an SSL encrypted website. So so in, you gave the example of Intego.com. So if the person distributing this malware, if they wanted to pretend that they were Intego.com, they could actually use that root certificate that they've added to your machine and they could create a, a, their own SSL certificate that's, that says it's issued to Intego.com and that root certificate authority that they put on your machine will tell your browser, oh yeah, that's fine. That really isn't, you know, that's a legitimate signature for that website. And so go ahead, go to Intego.com. And, and, and so the browser will display that little padlock leading you to think that you're going to the correct site. Exactly. You're right. So it's, it's, it's a scary thing. DNS hijacking by itself is, is, is frankly a scary thing, but um, without the capability to do that man in the middle SSL, often things will break. And so now in addition to using the DNS hijacking, they're also putting something else in place to make sure that they can try to intercept 
HTTPS websites, not just the HTTP websites. So is Intego Virus Barrier up to date to detect this malware? Well, this is brand new malware. And by the time that our, our listeners hear this, we'll, we'll already have protection in place for, for several days already. So absolutely, if, if you have the latest version of, uh, of Intego Virus Barrier and you've got your signatures up to date, you will be protected from this malware. Coming up, a discussion on Apple's iPhone battery problem and their replacement policy when the Intego Mac podcast continues in just about a minute. Do you know what a VPN is, a virtual private network? We'll be talking about this in an upcoming episode. If you have any questions about VPNs, drop us an email at podcast at intego.com. If we pick your question, you might win a prize. If you or someone you know has got a new MacBook or iMac or switched to the Mac from Windows, be sure to check out Intego's new Mac User Center. It's a one-stop collection of the things you'll need to know about using your Mac. Intego's new Mac User Center covers plenty of the basics to get you running smoothly and smartly in no time. Of course, one of the first steps you'll want to take is to install Mac security software from Intego to keep yourself protected. And right now, Intego Mac podcast listeners can get 50% savings on Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today, and then use the promo code Intego Podcast at checkout to save 50%. That's Intego Podcast to save 50% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. Intego, devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intego.com today. Which iPhone do you own, Josh? I've got an iPhone 6. You have an iPhone 6. So you might be concerned about this battery issue that has been in the news in the past few weeks. How is the battery on your iPhone 6? Um, well, it's not bad because about a year ago, I noticed that um, the edge of my screen started lifting up and I thought, ooh, that's weird. That's the battery swelling after it gets old. That's exactly what it was. Yep. And uh, so I took it into the Apple store and uh, thankfully they, they replaced the battery. It actually costs, I, I think, probably a couple hundred dollars almost to get that battery replaced because what they ended up having to do actually was not just replace the battery, they had to give me a new phone. Right. Well, they gave you a new phone because they probably would have had to replace the screen or maybe something else was damaged by the battery swelling. But the out-of-warranty repair is 200-something dollars, 214 or some odd figure like that. So a couple weeks ago, we learned that Apple had been slowing down iPhones if batteries were too old to keep up. Essentially, when the CPU in the phone is performing a lot of operations, it needs a lot of power. And if the batteries were too old, they couldn't provide enough power. And some of these phones were shutting down. And this started, I believe, with the iPhone 6 and the 6S, the first models that were affected. So what they did when they released iOS 10.2.1 about a year ago is that they changed the software in the phone for specific models, the iPhone 6, 6 Plus, the 6S, the 6S Plus, and the iPhone SE, to essentially slow down the phone if the battery wasn't providing enough power. They did the same for the iPhone 7 and 7 Plus when iOS 11.2 came out, 
And of course, since then, we only have the iPhone 8 and the iPhone X, which are both phones from this year. So normally their batteries wouldn't be affected when they're that old. Now, this was a bit embarrassing for Apple to have to admit this because we as Apple product users have been hearing these conspiracy theories for years saying that Apple slows down your iPhone when a new version comes out to get you to buy a new one. And it's not really true. It's just that you've got a newer operating system that's putting more demands on the processor. But then we come to the fact that Apple really was slowing down phones. And it wasn't so much to get you to buy a new one, but it was to make sure that your phone kept working because the problem was that some of these phones were shutting down. Now, anecdotally, I've heard from a few people who did buy new iPhones because they were thinking, well, this is getting too slow, the phone's too old. And people tend to think of an iPhone as having moving parts that wear out, and, and that's not the case. The only wear part in an iPhone is the battery. As you saw, you can replace the battery. Another interesting thing I've found is that most people who aren't directly involved with technology, like you and I, they don't know that you can replace the battery on an iPhone. They know that if you have a cheap Android phone, you pop the back off, you buy a new battery for 20 bucks, and you put it in, and you're fine. But since you can't open the iPhone, people weren't aware that Apple would offer this service. Until a couple weeks ago, it cost $79 to replace a battery, even if the phone was out of warranty. Now, your case obviously was different because the phone got damaged. But knowing what you know now, maybe you should go back to Apple and say, you know what, I paid more than $200 for you to change this battery, and the battery was actually bad, and that wasn't my fault. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I might consider that, actually. But, you know, what's funny about this is that so although I still do have my iPhone 6, which I kind of planned to keep for a while because, hey, I just, you know, paid a couple hundred bucks to get the thing replaced last year. And after upgrading to iOS 11, I, you know, well, first of all, my, my wife noticed this. Um, she also has an iPhone 6 and and she noticed that her her phone seems to be running more slowly now. And she, and she asked me about that. And um, I hadn't really noticed that problem, but um, really over the past few weeks, um, there have been times where my device seems to be running very slowly. And and again, this is the, the only year old iPhone 6, um, so the battery is not that old. So I've had to, to force quit, you know, almost every app except for the one that I'm currently running and or shut off my phone for a while and, you know, turn it back on. And uh, it's really annoying and it's not something that I had to do. And, and now I have an interesting situation because I actually waited a little while before upgrading to iOS 11. And because you don't trust any of these things. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I, I have my reasons. But <laughs> but once I finally upgraded to iOS 11, that's when I started noticing some speed issues. Now, there was a website that I came across that suggested that if you run, uh, there's some apps that tell you your processor's actual clock speed or or your, the, the clock speed that it seems to actually be running at. Right. There are some benchmarking apps that can tell you that. Right. As compared with what processor speed you should theoretically be getting based on your, your device. Now, when running that app, it did not show me that there was any difference. So that either means that that method of checking wasn't necessarily reliable, or it means that iOS 11 is slowing down my phone for other reasons besides this specific issue. So one thing that a lot of people have found when their iPhone slows down is that by restoring the phone completely, it gets faster. 
and I don't know why this is. It's worth trying so you connect your iPhone to your Mac. You go into iTunes, back up the iPhone, and then click the restore button. It'll download the software or it'll load it if you've already got it on your Mac, and it'll restore the system software, and then you reload your backup. I don't think it's anything like the storage gets fragmented, but apparently maybe some files get corrupted and that slows things down. As for the battery issue, if your battery's a year old, I wouldn't expect this to be a problem. This said, I had an iPhone SE until last fall when I bought an iPhone 8 Plus. Now, the SE was a year and a half old when I got the 8 Plus, so it was relatively new, but I was already noticing in the summer that the battery wasn't lasting a full day. I would have to charge it a while during the day to make it through the day. Anytime we took a trip, even just a day trip, I would make sure to carry an external battery pack in case I needed more power. In part because I remember once we didn't have GPS in the car and we were on a trip and we were looking for a new house and I was using Google Maps on my phone, which uses a lot of battery power. And I ran out of battery before we found the house that we were looking for and we had a lot of trouble finding it. So I always keep a battery pack just in case. So I'll link to an article on my website that I wrote about this and and I used an app that told me what the battery health was. When the battery is new, it can hold 100% of the milliamp hours that it's rated for. And over time, this number descends a little bit. And I think Apple's cutoff is 80% battery health, and mine was at about 74%. So they say on their webpage about battery health that the battery should keep 80% of its health at 500 charge cycles. Now, mine was at 545 and 73%. So I called Apple. I said, look, I haven't been using this phone recently, but it's not good, and Long conversation with a tech support person. My phone is under Apple Care, and we went through the whole process. As an aside, they do something really interesting now. They can actually remotely connect to your iPhone. They can, if you give them the Apple ID that's signed in, they send a request, and they can do a screen sharing session. So they can see what's on the phone, and they can also run diagnostics. So the support guy did the diagnostics, said, okay, we're going to change the battery. Here's the process. We send you the box. You send it in. You know, we've all done this. And... A week later, it comes back and says, your battery's fine. We didn't change it. Now, I was like, why are you doing this to me, Apple, wasting my time and yours? And I called them back and explained, and the technician I spoke to, he didn't really understand why I was promised that the battery would be changed, but he did agree that it probably did need to be changed, especially since this battery kerfuffle. So basically, they gave me a new phone. And they did that because when you have Apple Care, they have something called Express Exchange, where if there's a problem, they send you a a new device, which is probably refurbished, and you return yours afterwards. So it's very quick, and you don't have to send your device and wait for them to receive it before they send a new one. Now, what Apple has done, they've apologized about this battery issue, and they've lowered the price for replacing batteries from $79 to $29. Initially, they were telling people that if you have one of the phones affected and your battery doesn't fail the diagnostic test, you can still get the battery replaced for $29. Then they came out and said no, and it's not clear right now what they're going to do, whether they will be doing this or not. One thing to note is I've been hearing, again, anecdotally on Twitter, that people have made appointments at Apple stores to change the batteries, driven 30 or 40 or 50 miles, and found when they got there that Apple didn't have any batteries in the store. So it's really worth making sure before you take a trip that you're going to be able to change your battery. Right. You know what's kind of funny? My mind was thinking about when you said that Apple has the capability, if they know your Apple ID, to be able to to control your device, 
that that immediately was like, oh wow, that's interesting. Like what a what a clever attack that would be if somebody could figure out how Apple's doing that. Um, and you know, th that would be a great way to do a tech support scam, right? People, you know, call you up and say, oh, um, yeah, I, I, uh, I'm working for Apple and, uh, it looks like your device is having some problems. Um, can you tell me your Apple ID? Yeah. Let me just log in and help you with that. Okay. You do, you do have to authorize it on the device. You get a dialogue and, and you might even get a, um, a sort of a dialogue with 18 pages of terms and conditions that you have to agree to. But it doesn't happen in the background. And I don't know if you've ever seen this on a Mac. They do the same thing. You get a little notification and you have to agree. And there's like three or four screens. It's not just one screen, but you've got a good point. That would be a very interesting attack vector. Right. Yeah. As a tech support scam, I mean, that's that's a great way to convince someone that, oh, yeah, well, I guess I need to, to uh, hit OK and <laughs> allow all this stuff to happen. So, um, yeah. Now, now, Apple, I know they're they're facing a whole bunch of lawsuits. I think there's there's somewhere around like 30 lawsuits, 30 at least. lawsuits. Yeah. Yeah. And at this point and um, because people are claiming that Apple is, was purposely or secretly slowing down older iPhones without, I mean, they never really disclosed this until this December 28th, I think it was, um, public statement about it. And, um, and so they're, they've, they're now facing a whole bunch of lawsuits. I, I heard the other day that in Northern California alone, there were like eight lawsuits and five of those were all in San Jose. I'm guessing that in San Jose, there are a lot of tort lawyers and there are courthouses that are amenable to this sort of lawsuit. This, what, what I hope that, that Apple will do is find some better ways to control this problem without having to force the user to have their device slowed down. So in other words, give the user the option to choose, do, do you want your device to be slower or do you want, you know, or, you know, g give them the choice. Right. And, and I think, I think Apple is really at fault here. You know, I, I generally laugh at some of these ridiculous class action lawsuits, but this one, I, I think Apple really did do the wrong thing. You can't unilaterally slow down a device without telling users, and it's not too complicated to communicate this information. Uh, giving the user a choice is problematic because do you say to a user, well, we can either slow your phone down or it'll shut down occasionally. I think from a data security standpoint, you never want the phone to shut down accidentally like that. So I don't think you should give that sort of option, but I think they should be telling users, hey, we've got a problem. Now, Apple's statement about this uh, says that in early in 2018, we will issue an iOS software update with new features that give users more visibility into the health of their iPhone's battery so they can see for themselves if its condition is affecting performance. This is information you get on a laptop. You go into system information and you go to power and you'll see the battery health and you'll see the number of charge cycles. Since iOS is essentially a version of macOS, the, the same information is there in the operating system. It's just a question of displaying it to the user. Presumably, they'll put this in the settings app, in the battery settings, and you'll tap and you'll be able to see this. I think it's important that users know what's going on and that perhaps there be, you know, it's green if everything's okay, and it's yellow if it's getting old, and it's red if it's getting to a critical point. But also, Apple needs to make sure that users know that they can change the battery for $79. I know a lot of people who would be more than happy to, to spend $79 
to make a three-year-old phone last another two or three years. And actually, Apple temporarily through the end of this year, they've announced that they're reducing the price of that out-of-warranty iPhone battery replacement. Uh, so it's not $79 for this year. It's $29 and until uh, the end of December 2018. Right. If you have one of the phones that's affected, I would strongly recommend you take advantage of this. Now, again, as I said earlier, Apple first said anyone could get this regardless of what the diagnostic test showed. Then they said, well, no, the diagnostic test has to show that it needs to be changed. Keep an eye on this because if you can get the replacement, do it. It's just going to make your phone last longer. Even if you don't want to keep using the phone and you want to sell it, it's far better to sell a phone with a new battery than an old battery. Another thing that someone mentioned to me is that now maybe people will start paying attention to the battery health on iOS devices when they buy them used. So if you buy a used iPhone on eBay or any other service, you may want to ask what the battery health is when Apple starts providing that information. And that will ensure that you're either buying a device that's got a good battery, or when you're selling a device with a good battery, you'll be able to use that as, as a selling point for your device. I bought a, a refurb MacBook Pro a few months ago, and I sold my previous 12-inch MacBook on eBay, and the buyer wrote me asking what the battery health was because he knew what that meant. And I think that this is good that most people learn that this is a thing that exists. On the other hand, you now know that if you can buy an iPhone 6 for $100, you can replace the battery for $79 and make it almost like a new phone. So I think this is a win-win for consumers, and I just hope Apple hurries up and makes this information available as soon as possible. So are you going to head to an Apple store and check out your battery issue here? Yeah, I, I might actually do that. You'll keep us posted on a future episode. Until then, Josh, stay secure. Stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. Your comments and questions are welcome. Please feel free to send email correspondence to podcast at intigo.com. We may use your question on a future episode. Links to topics and information Kirk and Josh mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intigo.com. The Intego website is also where you'll find details on the full line of award-winning Intego security and utility software, intego.com.